It's good to be here tonight with everybody. It's cooling down a little bit, huh? So my daughter showed me a video on YouTube this week, and as I was contemplating my, the passage tonight, um, I thought it would be interesting for us to look at what experts have diagnosed as FWP, and so um, I understand that some Christians may struggle with this here tonight, I want you to take a look at it. Every day, thousands of people fall victim to FWP. I'm so cold. Starving. Nobody cares about me. Also known as first world problems. I'm so cold. Somebody set the AC to 72. I needed it 73. Starving. All it has leftovers. Nobody cares about me. Nobody commented or liked my status. Hi, I'm Ryan Higa, and for just five hours of attention a day, you could help somebody with FWP. Everyone keeps putting so much pressure on me. I don't know what I want for my birthday. I have too much chips for my dip. If I open a new dip, I'll have too much dip for my chips. Why does Apple keep making new iPhones? Now I have to get another one? They've been through so much struggle. The remote's over there, but I'm all the way over here. So much hardship. My iPhone 5 is too big for my skinny jeans. So much attention. I poured my cereal without checking to see if we had milk. We did. So please, show your support and send them this video. And show them how much we care about their FWPs. I bought too many groceries. Now I'll have to make two trips. All you have to do is call the URL, 1-800.org. And we'll send you the FWP helping kit, which includes a bridge, a straw, and a full cup with a cover. So... I saw that this week and uh, recognized myself in that, especially the groceries. There's nothing worse than having to make two trips. Come on, who's with me? So, like, I cannot get every Wegmans bag into my hand. This is our first world problems. You know, some of you, as we take a look at this passage tonight, may have some thoughts about what it is we struggle with. And Interestingly enough, you may think to yourself for a moment that maybe what the disciples were going through in the moments that we're going to read about tonight in Acts chapter 4 aren't relevant to us today. And obviously that sarcastic video would make fun of that and seemingly suggest that somehow what they were dealing with isn't relevant to us today. And I actually want to say tonight that the passage we're about to look at, as I've been looking at this and reading this and thinking about it, I, I believe with all my heart, that it is incredibly relevant for us right now, right here today, Renovation Church. It's one of those passages you read, and it's a narrative. It's a, it's a passage about, in essence, it's a case study, really. As we see the disciples' lives and what they're going through, Jesus has been crucified. Is that me popping? Sorry. Jesus has been crucified, and he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit has come in the day of Pentecost, and now the disciples are going out, and they're fulfilling the command of Jesus, and they get into this place where uh, Mike talked about last week. Matt, is there anything I can do to stop that? Or No? All right. They, <laughs> they're in this place where, uh, that Mike talked about last week where the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and he's empowered them, and as they've gone out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a man in his 40s who many knew. And you guys saw the 
If you were here last week or if you're familiar with that passage, you see Peter and John reach their hand towards this man and they say, silver and gold have I not, but what I have we give to you and rise up and walk and strength enters into the legs of this man. And he stands up and he walks and he, he goes into the synagogue and begins to worship in front of everybody. And this, as we saw last week, presents a problem. You know, what kind of problem did it present? And I think it's important, sorry, that we get some context here. What kind of problem did this present for the disciples? Because as we see in Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin to see how they dealt with this problem. But what was the problem? How how did it present a problem? Who could be against healing, right? I mean, how do you get in trouble for healing a guy? How do you you get in trouble for this, this man to have gained strength in his legs in such a way that he never had before in his life? And as he goes into the synagogue and he begins to worship, and there's no way that this miracle can be denied because they see this man, they can't deny it. He's in his 40s, and now he's healed, and he's worshiping God. I mean, even atheists would be okay with healing, right? No one's against healing. No one's against someone getting healed. Certainly, the chief priests and the elders weren't against someone getting healed. Of course, everybody's in favor of that, right? But why would they get in trouble? And as Mike articulated to us last week, it was because in the midst of this healing, Peter stood up and he said... Hey, in case anybody's wondering how this happened, it happened because of Jesus. Jesus is the reason that this man is healed. And the persecution came. All of a sudden, the chief priest and the other said, Ah, wait a minute. He's proclaiming Jesus. And this is where the trouble and the controversy started. They get thrown in jail, their lives are threatened. And this is a viable threat, am I right? I mean, we see in a, in a couple of weeks, I think James loses his head. Peter gets thrown in prison. They almost behead him if the angel doesn't, doesn't uh, rescue him. This is a viable threat that they understand they could lose their lives. They could be killed. And we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Let's read that together. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together and against the Lord, I'm sorry, yeah, against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen? Let's pray. God, just take your word. 
put it in our hearts. Change us by it. Help us to see tonight what you would communicate to us through this passage, through this case study. Change us by your word that you breathe through men, your inspired word as you reveal yourself to us in it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So what, what gospel was, was preached to you throughout your life? Was it the, the gospel of that we so often communicate in the church, the gospel of, listen, and this is very palatable, come to Jesus, please, accept Jesus into your heart, life's going to be better, and when you die, he's going to take you to heaven. How many of you guys heard that gospel before in the scope of your Christian life? So you got the beginning, right? Come to Jesus. You got the end. He's going to take you to heaven. Oh, sounds great. Very easy, very palatable. It's missing the middle, right? Something called life. Something called suffering. Amen? Suffering. Sometimes that's something we don't communicate in the scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not as easy to swallow. The idea that you're going to experience suffering for the name of Jesus, and so am I. And that's exactly what these disciples here in this passage are experiencing as they now go out to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They, they go and they heal this guy, and, and the guy's worshiping in the synagogue, and now they're getting thrown in jail. Their lives are being threatened. And as they're released from jail, they go to their friends, and they begin to pray. And I think this is a, a remarkable reaction. It's a remarkable, I believe, relevant study for us as we're planting Renovation Church. Now, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, there is... Um, covert persecution, which I think we experience, and there's overt persecution. Mark Driscoll says it this way, overt persecution will kill you. Covert persecution will silence you through shame. Now, these guys are experiencing what I I think would be some overt persecution. They're, They're potentially going to lose their lives. They're potentially going to die for their faith. And there are people all over the world that die for their faith today. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult to share your faith in the United States of America. I mean, think about it. There is an attack on Christianity. There is an attack on our faith in this country. Keep your mouths quiet. Listen, just like no one's against healing, but they were against it when they said this man was healed in Jesus' name. No one's against serving, right? We can go out and serve. We can hand out water bottles all we want, right, with verses on them. We can go out and we can feed the homeless and we can shelter people and we can love people and we're commissioned to do that. But I got to tell you something. The minute we say we're doing it in the name of Jesus, all of a sudden things begin to change, don't they? Now the controversy begins to start. This is about Jesus. This is about the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to the Father except through him. All of a sudden, you start saying that stuff, Lord, sovereign Lord, in their prayer, who created the heavens and the earth as they begin to pray. You start talking like that today in the United States of America. Things are, are, are changing a little bit, aren't they? 
whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we're okay with you serving. Hand out water bottles. You can even put your church's name on them. Feed the hungry. Go to New York City and hand out sandwiches at shelters. But you start talking about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're stepping on toes here. We don't want you to really talk about that. Maybe you're not overtly going to be killed, but you know what? You might be thinking to yourself, I could lose my job. I could lose a friendship. People could look at me strange or dislike me. Is that not true for us today? It's incredibly relevant what the disciples faced. How about suffering for our faith? think it's a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's something as we plant this church, as we begin to declare the purpose and the mission that God has put us on, that we would see every man, woman, and child have a repeated opportunity in this geography to hear, see, taste, somehow feel the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go out on that mission with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, folks, we're going we're gonna to see resistance. We are going to see people become uncomfortable with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serve all you want, but if you start serving in the name of Jesus, there's going to be controversy. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be conflict. So what do these guys do when they experience this threat? What do they do when they experience this controversy? I love this passage because the first thing Peter and John do when they're released from prison, where do they go? They go to their friends, right? They go to their people. Look at it in verse uh, 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. How amazing is that? As soon as they get out of prison, they go to their friends. It's translated, it's their people. It's their, it's not just apostles. And I think that's important. They don't just go to the apostles. They go to their people. And this word is used one other time in the book of Acts. But it's their kin, it's their folks. It's their, it's their people. You know what I mean when I say that? And, and I have a question for you tonight. I think it's an important question for you to begin to think about. As we, as we are on mission together, you need to ask yourself, who's your people? Who do you pray with? Who do you go to in the midst of suffering and struggle? In the midst of persecution, where do you go? Because here's what I find for a lot of believers in our, in our realm and or in our geography that they go try to find people when the suffering hits, right? When the suffering hits and the difficulty comes and the persecution comes, all of a sudden I better get some people who will listen to me and who will care about me, and they jump in somewhere, which is great. You're absolutely welcome to do that, but then the expectation is there's going to be some sort of a microwave relationship, right? And I think the challenge for us as we look at this passage, as we see the example here in Scripture, is we need to be with people who love Jesus and who we can do life with, who we can lift our voice and pray with and worship with and share with and be our people, our kin, so that when struggle hits and suffering comes and persecution hits us, we run to our friends and we say, let's lift our voices together and worship and pray. Amen? Who's your people? Are you floating out there alone on the fringes of church? Or are you plugged in? We try to program this, and, and I get it's just a program, but, but, but we, we are so passionate 
about missional communities, not just so we can say we have a bunch of missional communities. We, we could care less. We're passionate about missional communities because we recognize the need for us to be together, to be in each other's lives, to pray together, to get into the word together, to lift each other up, to hold each other up. So when those moments come, you can go to your people and pray together. Amen? They go to their friends. Their own would be more accurate. The people that they pray with and worship with. I think a doctrinal or theological note would be that it doesn't just mean apostles only. We recognize here that the Spirit of God was poured out not just on the disciples, that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them. We recognize that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, was not just for the disciples in some specific unique time. We see in Scripture that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit not just happened at Pentecost, but it happens here in Acts chapter 4. It happens throughout the book of Acts. It happens throughout church history. We see that the Spirit of God was poured out and empowered on Stephen and on Philip and on people just like you and me. This was not just specifically, uniquely in this period of time for the disciples. The Spirit of God poured out, empowering us is for every one of us. Amen? They went to their people, and they prayed together. I think this is huge. They prayed together. In the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this difficulty, they got together, and the first thing they did is they lifted their voices up, and they prayed together. This is a big deal. I, I'm going to quote Driscoll again um, in relationship to this. He said, the quickest way between two people is prayer. You want to grow in relationship with somebody? Pray together. Your spouse, your children, your friends, your people, get together and pray and seek God together. I think, I think it's so huge for us. And in the moment that we're in right now as we plant this church and as we ask God to empower us to see people's lives change and to see people come to know Jesus in this geography, we need to pray together. We were meeting not too long ago, and uh, we've been going through as, as a leadership team just some strategic things. Okay, what are we doing? How does this work? What's God calling us to do? And we're kind of fitting things together. And I think me, Paul, and Tim, Maisie was out of town, and me, Paul, and Tim were sitting at Panera, as we often do. And uh, it always seems to revolve around food. That could be me. <laughs> and we were talking about all this stuff. And, and Tim looked at us, and, and I loved it, because he reminded me of this. And it was almost like a revelation, but we should know it. Tim looked, and he's like, yeah, we need to pray. <laughs> we need to get together. We need to lift our voices, and we need to pray together. Renovation Church, God is calling us to pray. Because we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we need to be shaken. We need the Spirit of God to do what he's called us to do. We need to get together. We need to seek God. We can't change people's hearts. We can't save people. We are facing incredible obstacles. And we need the Spirit of God. Amen? We have huge obstacles in this mission that we're facing. A lot like these disciples as they went out into this Roman world of of polytheism. 
this Roman world of rampant sexual immorality and homosexuality, this, this, this Roman world where they, if they didn't like children that, or babies that they wanted, they just killed them. Is any of this sounding familiar to any of you? They were Americans. We have obstacles that we're facing as we go on this mission that God's called us to. We, we have a passion for geography. 200 years ago, when people lived around each other, it meant something. In the age of the automobile, guess what? We don't ever have to know our neighbors. We can drive quickly to wherever we want to be. We have garage door openers. We can drive right into it and close it behind us and get into our house without ever seeing anybody that lives next to us. Our proximity is usually around people we work with or go to school with because we don't have any other choice. But it's very capable or it's very possible for each of us to live around people and actually never interact with them. Some people don't even know who their neighbors are. Am I right? In this age of technology and constant entertainment, come on, think about it. 100, 200 years ago, people would plan for a day of entertainment, maybe a month in advance, and they'd go and they'd be entertained for that one day, and the rest of the time they were interacting with each other, working, trying to eat, trying to make it. We live in an age of constant, incessant barrage of entertainment. Don't think about death. Don't think about God. Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about struggle. Entertainment, entertainment, entertain me. That's all we do. Nothing else can get in. In this age of incredible medical technology, which is wonderful, but when people get sick, God is the last thing that enters their mind. I gotta go to the doctor. I hope they have the technology to fix me. We have a lot of obstacles that face us today as we go out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of people who are, are, seldom lift their heads from their iPads or their iPhones. Seldom talk to their neighbor. Seldom feel as though they need anybody or anything, particularly God. We are really a God-ignoring society. The mission that God has called us to is so similar to the mission. It is the mission that he called them to. We face incredible obstacles, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need God to empower us to cut through to somehow cut through into the lives of people so that it, it gets through that thing in their brain, the reticular activating system. You ever heard of that? Things that It gets through that thing that filters out everything, right? The med students are laughing at me. It's, it's that thing that, that, that's in your brain that keeps you from going crazy. You ever notice that? That, you know, as, as things like, and I could be wrong, guys. I read this somewhere. As things happen, you filter things out, right? And you don't notice them. As, as, if you didn't have that thing in your brain, you'd go nuts. And so what gets through into people's brains? Things that they value, right? Things that are, that you ever buy a car and all of a sudden everybody on the road has that car? Things you value make it through that filtering system. Things that scare you. If a person walked in and sat down, you might not notice it. If a bear came running through the doors, how many of you guys think that it would get through? You'd recognize it. The third thing that gets through are things that are strange. You know, you could have 50 people walk by you in the mall, but it's the dude with the orange spiky hair and all sorts of metal running through his face. You seem to, you seem to notice him, right? How do we cut through into people's lives and show them the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that it affects them? 
such a way that they hear from the Spirit of God in their life and they know that they have a need. They wake up from the, from the constant, incessant entertainment running through their brain and they recognize that they are going to die. They recognize that their families are falling apart. They recognize that they're not living a life of true value because it's not the life that God's created them to live and they recognize that they need to be atoned for for eternity. Their sin needs to be forgiven. How do we present that? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of someone's heart. It's that same power that you experienced in your heart the first time you recognized you needed the grace of God. Somehow the Spirit of God reached down into your life, cut through all the garbage, and you thought to yourself, somehow in the midst of everything going on, I need God, and He has rescued me. And you reached out and you received him because he enabled you to do it because the spirit of God somehow woke you up. We need to pray together that God will wake people up so that they see their need for him and recognize that he's died for them and he's forgiven them and the gospel of Jesus Christ can save them. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit to do it. They prayed together. We need to cry out to God together. Something I recognize in this that I think God wants us to see tonight is that they prayed to a God that they knew. They prayed to a God who had revealed himself to them in Scripture and they knew him. We talk about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that we need the power of God. And I I know there's a lot of circles of people that just think we don't need doctrine, we don't need theology, we just need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't just come fill empty brains. He came and he filled the lives of people who understood who God was because they knew his word and his word was hidden in their heart as he had revealed himself to them in Scripture. And they looked to the heavens together as they lifted their voice and they prayed, Sovereign Lord, Creator of everything. You control the actions of evil men. They understood who God was, that he was the creator of all things. They knew that he had created the heavens and the earth. And they declared in the midst of this threat that they were facing, they declared to God who he was. Isn't that huge? We need to tell God who he is as we face a threat. We better know who he is. And when we pray, we better tell him who he is. God, you're the creator of everything. You're in control. You are the sovereign Lord. They recognized that in the midst of the acts of sinful men, as men did things and made decisions, and hey, hey, we're going we're gonna to do evil things, we're going to put Jesus on the cross, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, they recognize God in the midst of men's decisions and, evil's act, and evil acts, you're in control, you're sovereign, and you're going to use it to fulfill your purposes on this earth. Talk about a laugh and a slap in the face of arrogant men. They recognize God is sovereign. He's in control, and he is going to use the acts of sinful men for his purposes. Pilate and Herod put Jesus to death. They begin to call out, just after getting out of prison, they begin to call out the leadership of the area they live in. Let's read it for ourselves. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our Father... David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and here they quote Psalm chapter 2. They knew it. It was on their lips. 
The, God, the word of God was hidden in their hearts. They had memorized it. And they, and they cry out Psalm chapter 2, recognizing that this prophecy from Psalm chapter 2 was about Jesus. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And here they go. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. They recognized that Psalm chapter 2, written a thousand years before, was about this moment, was about Jesus, because they knew the word of God, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, listen to this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place didn't matter what Herod and Pilate were doing. God, you're sovereign. You're in control. And as they came against fulfilling Psalm chapter 2, your anointed one, Jesus, they were only doing what your hand had already predestined, what you, what you were going to work together for good for your purpose. They prayed to their sovereign God who they knew and who they understood because he revealed himself to them in his word. Amen? The word of God. The inspired word of God. They declare that in this prayer. Listen to it. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they quote Psalm chapter 2. I think it's important for us to understand that this Bible, that the word of God is not just the thoughts of men about God as if this book is some other philosophical book on the shelf next to Gandhi and Buddha. It's not, this, this Bible is not man's thoughts about God. This Bible is God's thoughts spoken through men, inspired by God, him revealing himself in his word through men. It's a big difference. This is God speaking to us about who he is not men speaking to us about what they think about God. Amen? And they recognized that as they quoted Psalm chapter 2 and said it was the Holy Spirit speaking through your servant, David. They prayed to a God that they knew. They understood things theologically about who he was. And they cried out to him as the sovereign God, as the creator He didn't just fill with his Holy Spirit empty heads. He filled men who were, who, were, who were committed to understanding who God was as he revealed himself to them. I, I find it interesting here. They get out of prison, right? Now, I got I to gotta be thinking, if someone says to me, if you continue to proclaim the name of Jesus and preach the gospel, we are going to kill you i got to be honest. There's going to be a temptation in my heart to not proclaim the word of God. Am I the only one who's thinking that way? I mean, th- these dudes are just like us. They want to see their kids, right? They want to grow up. They want to stay alive. They want to be around their families and the people that they love. But I notice something as they leave prison and they go with their people, with their own, their kin, and they raise their voices together and they pray to the sovereign creator to give them strength. Do you notice that, that they don't pray against the people who are persecuting them and want to kill them, but they pray for their own faithfulness? 
They don't pray against the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the rulers who are threatening their lives. They don't even address it in their prayer. They say, God, this is who you are. You're the creator and you're sovereign. Enable us to continue to speak with boldness. They pray that they would stay faithful. They pray that God would strengthen in the midst of persecution. They didn't say God stop the persecution. God strike them dead. God somehow save our lives. They didn't say that. They said, God, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of this threat, don't let me stop proclaiming your word. Give me boldness to continue to speak because the temptation of my heart is to stop. The temptation of my heart is to be silenced. But we're asking you to help us to continue to proclaim your word with boldness. What a remarkable, remarkable prayer. As I engage in the workplace, the temptation of my heart is to be silenced. As I engage the parents at the ball field, at Applebee's, at my kids' events, as I engage my neighbors and my coworkers, the atmosphere of this culture that says, ah, everybody just gets to believe what they want. Oh, there's multiple ways to have it. Everybody, everybody's opinion is equally as whatever. And, and, and not only are we tolerant of everybody's beliefs, but, but at the same time, tolerance has moved to a place where everybody now is true. Everything's true. It's not just that I welcome you, disagree with me. Now everything is true, and there's multiple ways. And in the midst of this culture that's changing, that's increasingly becoming hostile towards the things of Jesus and Christianity, the temptation of my heart is to remain silent, to serve quietly. And our prayer together as people, as kin, as the body of Christ, as we lift our voice, needs to be God, help me to boldly continue to communicate who you are, your gospel. Amen? So their prayer, I think, is remarkable. They know who they're praying to. It's interesting what they're praying about. God, give us boldness. And then what happens? God answers their prayer, doesn't he? God answers their prayer. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They have their own little local earthquake. The Holy Spirit comes, and he fills them, and he empowers them. I want you to see something else here. And I might have missed it, so I might have to go back. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And and I'm sorry, I want to go back to verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to think about that second part. Not only did they pray for boldness, but they continued to pray for the works of God as he stretches out his hand to heal. Guys, that is relevant to us today. We need to pray 
that God would give us boldness to communicate the gospel. And we also need to pray that God would stretch out his hand and heal and do works that accompany the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people say we shouldn't pray about that anymore. I think that's bogus. The word of God tells us that we should. I believe that we should pray for God to move by his spirit, not so that we get goosebumps, not so that something fuzzy and neat happens, not so we can say, oh, wow, look at the miracle. That's not what it's about. It's because of his name, so that his name would be established. We need to ask God to move in power as we communicate the gospel. We need to ask God to stretch out his hand and heal and do things in the hearts of people that we're completely incapable of doing, that only he can do. Our words are meaningless without his spirit empowering them and doing something in someone's heart. And if it takes a physical healing, great. If it doesn't, great. But we need to pray and ask God to do it. Amen? I'm going to pray that God would stretch out his hand and heal. I want to pray with you that God would move in such a way that when we communicate the gospel with our lives and with our words, that somehow his spirit does something in the lives of people that wakes them up and heals them and empowers them to somehow grasp what he's doing in their life. Amen? God answers their prayer. The spirit of God shakes the place. They receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit again. And and whatever John Piper says, whatever else Pentecost is, it is not unique. It's repeated throughout the book of Acts in church history. It is not just that moment. God wants to move by his spirit and empower us today, and we need to pray for him to do it. Together, we need to lift our voice and ask God by his spirit to come and empower us. Amen? He answers their prayer. I think in summary and in closing, what we see here is that these are a group of people that clearly understand their circumstances. They're very aware of the immediate threat that they face. These people know who their God is because they know his word as he's revealed himself to be who he is. And they cry out together to the God that they know. They cry out for what they know they need so that they can do his will. And God answers their prayer. Amen? Folks, we need to know who our God is. We need to wake up and recognize the threat. Although it may not be overt, there is a covert threat on us. And you know what the threat is? You be silenced. You be quiet. You stop talking about Jesus. You do not speak about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do. There is a covert threat for us to be quiet. We need to know who our God is. We need to lift our voice to him for him to come and give us boldness, for him to move in power, and for him to do something in our midst. Amen? So that he comes and he shakes this place. Let's do that together now. Will you stand with me? Let's ask God right now to come and be in our midst. He promises that he's here 
because we know the attributes of God. We know that he is. He also says that he comes in an increasing way as we lift him up, as, as multiple, as more, two or more gathered in his name, as we pray, as we seek him, that his presence is here. Here's what else we know. We know that God wants to do something in our midst. We know that, that God is passionate for people to not be silenced. He didn't save us to be silent. He's passionate for people in this geography to come to know him. He's passionate for your neighbors and your coworkers and your schoolmates and the people that you know to know Jesus, to know his saving grace. We know these things. So let's ask him together for boldness. Let's ask him together to empower us, to shake us, to give us words, to give us strength, to give us boldness, to not be quiet, but to share the gospel with boldness. Amen? Let's do it. God, we just thank you again tonight that we can be here. God, we cry out to you together that you would be here, that you would empower us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that you would strengthen us. Give us boldness. While our hearts are tempted to be afraid, while our hearts are tempted to be silent, God, I ask that you would quicken your spirit to our heart that we would speak, that we would declare who you are because you've revealed it to us. You've called us to communicate it with our lives and with our words. As we worship together tonight, God, I ask that you would strengthen your church, that you would cause us to be bold, that you would stretch out your hand, and that you would heal. This week in our community, we recognize incredible tragedy. An incredible need for healing right here in Liverpool. God, I ask that you would strengthen us. I ask that you would strengthen those who know this family. I know there's some here. Give them the ability to comfort and to speak with boldness. God, stretch out your hand and heal. Stretch out your hand and heal like only you can heal in this place. We trust you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.